From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. about to listen to our new show the groundsman conversations which is brought to you by sports digital sports digital is a cloud-based presentation platform for rights holders agencies and brands that brings your story to life within immersive exciting easy to create proposals and presentations used by more than 50 percent of teams in the top leagues in the u.s sports digital's technology enables partners to ditch powerpoint and keynote and create powerful presentations of their own that provide tracking analytics to help you understand the performance of your prospecting cutting through the crowded marketplace to win business. So go to sportsdigital.com to book your demo. Welcome, everybody, to another Groundsman Big Interview, brought to you, as always, by our friends at Sports Digital. Uh, joining me, as always, is my man by the lake himself, Roger Mitchell. Hello, Grant. How are you? Mate, I'm very well. We're missing our third musketeer. Giles, unfortunately, can't be with us this week, but we'll have him back next time, I'm sure. But in the meantime... We will... Rog, you and I, as always, there's plenty to talk about. We have a fantastic guest joining us shortly, um, something a little bit different. But before we get to our guest, uh, Rog, the world of sport continues to surprise and amaze. Yeah, listen, you know, I think sometimes it's good to just uh, focus on the really nice things. I know you like these, um, you know, the the, kind of like um, heart-tugging type uh, things you get in sport. I saw one this week with um, Dirk Mertens. Uh, who has been at Napoli, Naples for 10 years, uh, had an amazing career, broke all kinds of records. uh, And as he's leaving now, I don't think they renewed his contract and he's ended up at Galatasaray, if I'm not wrong. Um, He sent this video out of uh, him leaving Naples and explaining what it had meant to him. And uh, it was just done super, super well. You know, some of these don't come off, but I think the guy was very genuine and talking about what what Italy had meant to him, uh, what Naples had meant to him, and um, I, I believed him because, it's, in some ways, it, it mirrored a, a lot of my own story about what this country has done. Yeah, look, I, I, well, I saw that when you tweeted it out, and it was um, it, that's how you that's how you do it, right? When you you talk about comms a lot, you talk about how you interact with your audience, how you interact with the fans, and even though he was leaving. That's how you do it. It was beautiful. You know, it was just him in black and white holding his little baby was born and will always be a Napolitano, um, Neapolitano, and uh, just thanking the fans. And, you know, then then a clip of, what, two minutes of personal either photos or short videos of his time in Naples. Just It was just brilliantly done, Roger. And, uh, it, it tugged yeah, it was, at my heartstrings because I didn't know the story. Yeah, yeah. And, like, when you saw those clips – at the end, which were a mixture of football on the field, um, his son being born, um, living the Bay of Naples, which is one of the great, great locations on earth. You know, I, I just had this view of how much Italy has seeped into his um, his being from being a cold um, Belgian, like we all are from the north of Europe. Uh, he just seems to have totally changed. And, and, you know, I, I know you you spent recently some time in Italy as well. Um, this country does do that to you, I think, Grant. 
Yeah, I, 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 I spent a few days um, with a friend of mine in Italy this past week. And, and you know, Roger, I said to you in a, in a text conversation, it, it, there's something about the country that it does, it gets into your bones and you don't have to spend long there to realize it's a very different, very different country. The way of life is different. The people are different. The food is different. There's just something about it that is magical. I mean, I, I wasn't in Naples. I was in much more central. But it's just a glorious country. It really is. Glorious, and when you say much more central, people forget that it's only been uh, unified very recently as a country. It's probably younger than America. Before mm -hmm. that, it was, what, I don't know, 15 different regions, all fiercely independent, most of them dominated by different cultures through the years. Uh, the Spanish, the Greeks, the Moors, the French up north, the Austrians, and, you know... And the Scots in Lake Como. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as my experience of Italy that it does, you know, you have to, you have to have a certain personality, I think. It's a country of individuals, different to Switzerland and, say, Germany, where much is process-led and, you know, you become very efficient by, you know, herding volumes into different areas. Italy is incredibly inefficient and individual. And, you know, if you've got that kind of personality and a way to get around problems... Uh, it works for you. You know, it never ceases to surprise you. I've got a story about that in a minute about Naples, I'll tell you that. But yeah, I mean, I, I was very pleased to hear that you were starting to feel that a little bit down there in um, in Umbria, uh, which they call the lungs of Italy because it's such a beautiful green place. It's, um, it's amazing. Yeah, very, it's very pleased to see that you liked it. Definitely greener than... Uh than England is at the moment, that's for certain. There's, there's yeah. No... So so let me tell you, in, in Dirk Merton's honour, my story about Naples, if you've got, what have we got, five minutes? And now, is this um, is this the story about the, the lady driving the car? No, I'm not. Oh, okay, you wouldn't have I ever told a story twice, but that is No, I, no I can't remember if you told me that story in, on the podcast or privately, but it's just a great yeah, story. Yeah, I know, I know. Go on, carry, no, carry. The, and I can't remember if I've told you this one or not. If I have, um, stop me. But this is true. This is true, and is the beautiful madness of Naples. So, but 10 years ago, uh, maybe a wee bit more, my son played youth football here in Como, and his coach was a Neapolitan. He, he was actually quite a fat guy. That's important, actually, in the story. And he wasn't that well off. He was kind of like a young lad trying to make his way in the coaching, and he was a big Naples fan, a big Napoli fan. Uh, so so one, one day I called UEFA, and I got VIP tickets for Man City, Naples, 10 years ago. Big, big game in the group stages of the Champions League down in, in Sao Paulo in Naples. Uh, and he obviously was very, very delighted, everything like that. So we make arrangements to go down. We fly down that same day for the game and we'll come back the next morning. So really, let's splash and dash. First of all, he's bloody late for the plane. You know, like, and I'm somebody that gets very anxious about traveling and he's not turning up and he's not turning up. So I'm already super stressed. Uh, and, and he eventually turns up. We, you know, then we have to go through that thing in security. You know, when you have to go in front of people and say, I'm sorry. That I hate that. I really detest that. Yeah, and he made me do it. So I was already really stressed and starting to regret a little bit this whole generous idea. So uh, we go on the plane. And remember, he's my son's coach. And we get, we sit down, it's an easy jet flight down. And he's starting eating stuff and ordering from there and everything. He's Because he's a fat guy, he's eating all the time. And um, uh, he says, you know, like, um, I, I need to tell you something. 
uh, I've been offered to, to to run the academy of uh, Varese, which is you know a, a town near Como. He was what the Como, and he was being poached to go to the other town and run their academy. He had a little bit of a name for himself, this guy, and he says, um, you know, I, I want to take your son with me, and I said. Um, Look, you're talking about what you call a project. He's ten. I, I just don't think this makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I said, no, no, no. I'm going to build the whole like, academy. By the time he's sixteen, you'll be ready to be in the first team. Uh, just n- nonsense, right? Nonsense. And anyway, he's get he's working himself up in this kind of Neapolitan way, all heart, all emotion. All of a sudden, he says, "Forgive me a second, Takes the sick bag, vomits to the the left puts it down, and then continues to talk about this fucking project. And I said, look, he's 10. There's no project. Let's just concentrate on tonight's game. So we got off the plane. And you know, like in every airport in the world, there's the the, the taxi guys that are not taxi guys. They're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're yeah. no license. Unlicensed, and everybody yeah. knows you don't go there or you end up paying 300 euros for a taxi ride. But he, being in his hometown decides that this is a good idea, especially as a big queue for taxis. So I said to him, Tony, are you sure this is a good idea? These guys aren't licensed. We're in Naples. He said, don't worry, it's my town. So we get in there and, you know, uh, we start this journey and they're speaking Neapolitan. So I'm struggling to pick up a lot of it. It's like, you know, Gomorra. It's like you need the subtitles, even in Italian. And But I do pick up the fact that he has given him a false name. The taxi man had asked him his name. And he'd given him a false name. So I like whispered in his ears. I said, what's the story? Why, why, why the false name? He says, you never know. You never know. So, right, okay. <laughs> so he doesn't trust this taxi guy that much, as he said, when he decided yeah. to go in the car. And we start taking this road that is way off the beaten track. It's gone down through the docks, very dark and everything like that. If I'd been on my own, I, th- I would have thought I'd been in trouble. Anyway, no issue. Uh, and he's the taxi guy's not getting any juice out of Tony, so he starts speaking to me, you know, and I says, uh, what are you here for and everything like that? I said, you know, me, naive. You know, I, I've been in Italy for 25 years. I am not um, new to how Italy works. I'm, I think I'm relatively experienced. All of a sudden, Grant, I felt like a fucking virgin at Studio 54. You know, like, I thought, I'm out my depth here immediately. And... Um, he says, what are you here for? And I said, well, I'm here for the big game, you know. And he, he reaches immediately to the glove compartment. He says, do you need a ticket? And, like, he opens it. And, like, there's loads of them. There's fucking loads of them. I don't know whether they're counterfeit or nothing like that. I said, and this was my mistake because I got an elbow in the ribs from Tony's. I said, we've got VIP tickets. Don't worry. Oh, even I know. Oh, really? Yeah, he says, oh, that. really? And uh, the elbow in the ribs. I said, Tony, what's the problem? He said, you can't tell them that. They'll work it out and they'll steal your ticket. I said, what do you mean steal the ticket? The game's in two hours. They would need to come up with some kind of like false identity document to go to the, the booth and pick up my ticket. He said, two hours? Uh, <laughs> no problem for these guys. That's an eternity. <laughs> so... We eventually get there. He goes through the docks. We get into the centre of Naples. We get out the car. All good. It was a, it was a good decision to choose this guy. We've got this hotel that we don't know where it is. We get to the main road and Naples traffic. Anybody that's been in Naples knows how bad it is. It's horrendous. And we walk to a roundabout. And I, I kid you not, 
he says, that's my uncle driving the bus that's in, on the roundabout. He gets up, he stops him, he gets up and says, do you know where Hotel Flora is? You know, and, and the, the guy's giving him directions. And behind, there is the inferno of the of the 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 the, the, the horns going and the, yeah and the horns and everything like that and I, I just thought oh my god oh my god anyway two or three minutes felt like an eternity two or three minutes we've got the directions and we start moving towards the hotel that's within walking distance and we go up there and we pass by this guy who looked like some kind of like vaudeville old kind of like actor like mascara black hair and like a really strange mustache black suit and he was he was um, carrying these two suitcases, trolleys, and they hugged each other as if you know they had been friends from like when they were four years old and everything like that. Big, big, big hugs, well, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then we, we leave him, and I say to Tony, "Who is that guy?" He said, "That's the biggest fraudster in Naples." I said, "What?" Uh, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, Tony, it looked different to me. I said, you seem to like the guy. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I said, Tony, what's in the suitcases? He said, oh, sure, one of them will have a python in it. I said, I said listen, Tony, let's just get to the hotel. We're running short of time now with the traffic and the python, everything like that. We're running short of time. Get to the hotel. He insists. He insists on having another little snack. I said, Tony, we've got VIP. There'll be food there. Can we go, please? I'm getting really nervous now. So he's like, then we get in a taxi, and I'm I'm starting to get relaxed. We go in the taxi. We're, we're making good speed. There's no traffic. Then I realise, Grant, it's a pedestrian precinct, and like the taxi is just flying up this pedestrian precinct. I said, Tony, I don't think we should be here. He said, Look. The police will understand it's a big game and you've got VIP tickets. <laughs> Don't worry. And the taxi guy was cool with us. They had obviously, this was the thing. So we get to this, the ground and as I feared, getting towards the booth that had the VIP tickets was a challenge. It was about 10 deep. You know, everybody in there and trying on a leg. You know, I'm from UEFA. I'm the uncle of, you know, whatever, trying to get a ticket because this was a huge game. We eventually get in, right? And, but it was hard to get the ticket. And, you know, UEFA do these things good, you know, like it's UEFA VIP. And he's a little bit blown away, Grant. You know, he's a little bit blown away. You know, there's Cannavaro, there's Chiro Ferrara, you know, selfies with everybody. He, he's revved up huge at this point, revved up huge. And he says to me, he says, oh, I never told you. Uh, tonight, uh, after the game, we've got dinner with Robertino. I said, who's Robertino? Oh, he, he's an entrepreneur here um, that's done really well with himself and he wants to buy a football club. Now, you can advise him. I thought, well, that's going to be interesting. Um, we move on. He eats some more, drinks some more at the hospitality. You have to do these things really well. We go out into the, 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 the seats. We go out into the seats. And San Paolo, when you're in the seats, you've got the screen above you that can see the transmission of the game. But it's the TV transmission. It's right. not closed circuit. So you're seeing the whole thing. And because we were right in the VIP area, we were being uh, caught on camera. And his phone starts ringing off the hook. I see you on TV. I see you on TV. And the great thing was behind us were a couple of famous faces, one of which was Fabio Capello. Now, Fabio Capello is not a simpatico guy. He's not up for a laugh. Fabio no. is not up for being a... So... Um, 
to my horror, Tony, on the call with somebody, turns round to Fabio and says, I've got, uh, I've got Giuseppe on the phone. He knows you. He wants to say hello. And the face of Fabio Capello, as he dismissed it with his gesture of F off, was like, remains me with this day. So this is like the phone is ringing all, and, then, and like the crowd's coming in and starting. It, it's really revving up. And then I, uh, he says to me, look at the screen, look at the screen. I thought, okay, we're going to be on the screen again. I get it. He says, no, 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 it's Robertino. It's Robertino on the screen. And there's this ad for Robertino's business, which was an underwear business, like Intimissima or something like that. So I see this ad with this guy, good looking guy, a little bit sleazy, you know, in speedo type underwear, like cavorting around with like the kind of like Victoria's Secret girls. And I said, Christ, you know, he's got a big business, this guy. I never realized. Um, he said, no, 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 not the business. That's him. That's him in the ad. <laughs> I said, what? He's in his own ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He feels he needs to live the product. You know, <laughs> oh my God. So game starts, thankfully, at this point, because I, I felt that I was kind of like losing that a wee bit of control. Um, game's a great game. They score. Man City equalise. They need a win to go through. And they get the second goal in the second half. And it's Naples. It's San Paolo. It's like memories of Maradona. Just amazing night. And like, everybody's like, we go out and everybody's going. So I say, Tony, what a great night. Um, I'm really looking forward to meeting Robertino now. Who knows who you'll bring with them? You know, like you've just seen the models on the ad, you know. Who knows what the night's going to be? He says to me, Roger, bit of bad news. Uh, Robertino's called me. Uh, he can't make it. I said, oh, what happened? He said um, his mum was at the stadium and uh, she, she took a, a bad turn. She didn't feel well when the first goal went in. Um, the emotion was strong. I said, well, I hope she's okay. Uh, uh, no, at the second goal, she died. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I said, you're joking, Tony, right? You're joking. He said, look, that's what Robertino told me. She's no longer with us. <laughs> so, splash and dash, I was, this is about four hours intense <coughs> Naples experience, and I felt exhausted. Yeah, yeah, I'm one exhausted of, listening to one it. Of the, one of the great, great nights. So when I saw the Dirk Mertens video, I thought, man, yeah, you, get you it. survived. You survived. You get it. <laughs> well, now I'm guessing, uh, Jimmy, is, is Georgie in the waiting room? She is, yeah, okay. Well, uh, Roger, listen, uh, uh, there's plenty of time for more Naples stories, but we have a guest joining us. We are about to have a chat with yes. a fantastic young lady, Georgie Wilkinson, who is the daughter of a friend of mine, Sir Stephen Wilkinson, who's um, who's been on my other project. Uh, we had a long conversation about his life and career in Ireland, and his daughter, Georgie, is a remarkable young woman. She was a horse rider. Um, very talented horse rider, had a nasty accident, and, and because it was too dangerous for her to, um, to ride horses anymore, she's decided to ride extremely powerful motorbikes very, very fast around the track. So we're going to talk to Georgie about um, uh, a sport that I know little about, but I'm fascinated by her story. I'm fascinated by um, this this incredible young woman and what she's trying to do in a, in a very male-dominated sport. So um, what do you yeah. say we bring Georgie in, Rog? Wonderful. Looking forward to this. All right, here we go. Well, Georgie, welcome. It's lovely to see you again, and thanks for taking the time to join me and Rog. No problem at all. Thank you for inviting me. So, listen, uh, 
let's. We, I've, I've kind of given a, a little tease about uh, how you got into this at the top of the show, but but let's let you tell it in your own words. Go go back to to. Yeah, I mean, you're young. You're a young woman now, but talk about young Georgie and uh, and kind of where your love of adventure and speed and stuff came from. Well, I've kind of always been into anything that I could get hurt at. And my mom can attest to that and she hates me for it. Um, but she put me on her horse at some stage when I was I was like two or three years old. Um, and so I kind of started getting used to falling from heights and getting hurt and uh, <laughs> kind of got addicted to it. Um, but I... Yeah, I started doing the horses and I've always always been interested in motorbikes. Always when I seen them on the roads and when I had when they drove past, I always started jumping up and down. Um, no one in my family rode bikes though, uh, other than I think my great great grandfather. He he did the Isle of Man TT back when oh, you wow. had like paper helmets and stuff like that on. Right, so right. um I've always felt like it it might have been in my blood to to do the bikes. Um and when we moved to we moved to Ireland when I was 12 years old, um, I continued with the horse riding and I always thought that that was going to be the path I go go down and I wanted to do Olympics as any, you know, young girl on a horse would like to do um, and was planning to be a vet and um, all of that. So it was really, bikes weren't even in the picture. Um, and I then started eventing and started competing on my mother's horse um who was incredibly loyal and incredibly honest and would do whatever you wanted him to do um and then we went off and we did our first cross country which is the um yeah you know jumping hedges yep. jumping logs all of that fun stuff and um we had a big incident where he was too honest too loyal and he jumped even though I put him into a horrific situation uh, where he shouldn't have been able to jump um, and he jumped got his feet stuck in the hedge and flipped and I ended up breaking myself up pretty badly um, and kind of got scared after <laughs> um, and realized yeah. that um, horse riding was it was a sport where you had no control as much as you train and as much as you as as hard as you try to be the best competitor that you can be, you are not alone out there. Um, and it took me too long to realize that it it was a team sport. So um, right. I kind of I feared that lack of control. <laughs> so I started I started adventuring and looking towards different things. Uh, continued the horse riding nonetheless because we had the horse and he weirdly survived that crash that we had um so we kept him and I kept riding and I ended up going to uh, I changed schools and everything um because I just I felt stuck in myself a little bit after that crash it was I was a bit it was a bit lost I didn't know I how do I put it I realized that the one thing that I thought I was good at the one thing that my whole life centered around you know horse riding veterinary you know that was that was my life plan I realized that mm -hmm. I was scared of it and I realized that it wasn't what I was meant to do, but I was too scared to admit it. So uh, I tried to change as much in my life as I could. So I went to a new school, um, which was, I think, one of the best decisions I could have made. It was um, a school in Dublin um, where I now work as well at the Institute. It's an incredible place. And it kind of gave me the freedom to explore and to try out different things. And um seeing as I hate wasting my time, I'm someone who cannot sit still, uh, taking hmm. the train 
was not an option for me. Uh, realizing that it would take two hours getting in and out and I just, I couldn't do it. So I looked into alternatives, which was getting a motorbike because it was the only vehicle I could get at the age of 16. Right, um, of so I got myself a motorbike <laughs> and um, took that into school every day, which was fun as well because you became the girl on the motorbike with full gear on. So no one knew who I was. So it was nice. a, it, I quickly realized it was so a lot cool. of fun. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to do because no one knew who you were and everyone was talking about it. And What bike was that, Georgie? What kind of bike oh, was that? It was a CBF 125. I call it my Deliveroo bike because it looked, <laughs> it looked like a horrible little Deliveroo bike. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a tiny bike. The wheels were the same size as a normal push bike. Uh, it was super right. light. Going on the motorway was terrifying because the tiny... You went on the motorway with that? I did, yes. You were allowed... Oh, no. Oh, man. Tiniest <laughs> You're allowed to do that? You're allowed? Because I don't yeah. think you are in Italy unless it's bigger bigger CC than that. Oh, no. Here, Ireland, you're allowed with a 50 CC, which I find mental because I think that wow. does, what, 60 kilometers an hour or something. Yeah. So... Yeah, no. Georgie, Georgie, let me let me let me just ask. Let me just take you back. So I just want to before I forget to ask these questions. We're, we're going. I know we're going to get into bike world now, and I'm going to be fascinated by it. But um, when you had that accident on the horse, uh, you know, a, a lot of people would never go near a horse again. Um, they, you know, that that was the because you know your your dad showed me some of the pictures of you after that crash. There was a pretty bad crash. I mean, you kind of made light of it, saying you banged yourself up pretty bad. But you know, you were you were you were in a bad way after that. Did, was it? Was there ever a moment where you were afraid and you had to like uh, knowingly conquer a fear or did you just had that fear, but you just kind of got on with it anyway? Well, with the horses, it was interesting because that fear was always, not always, but it was there way before that accident happened. Okay. Um, but again, because it was, because I thought it was what I was meant to do when I never veered off that path, I had nothing else in my life that I thought well, I thought I had nothing else in my life and I thought it was too late for me. I mean, what, I was 15, 14, 13 at, when I was thinking this stuff, but I was like, it's too late for me to start anything new. And I felt like I was abandoning my whole personality if I started something new. Um, so it was it was quite a quite a battle for me, especially because that accident wasn't the only one I had with the horses and it wasn't, it wasn't the last one either. I had, I think I was in bed for three months after that accident um cool. mainly mainly because the the internal bleeding in the brain wasn't great um but the um the bruised liver oddly was the worst one because they didn't see it at first when they brought me into hospital um but for i think four or five months i would just constantly lose all my energy because apparently the liver stores energy for the brain so um whenever my brain ran out of energy. It had no backup either because, right. you know, the liver was bruised and it couldn't store it. So I was in bed for three months. And then when I came back to the horses after that, I went out competing, did show jumping, was in the warm up arena, fell off, broke my rib, broke my collarbone. So it was, it was never, it was like life kept trying to give me signs not to continue. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. And I always chose to ignore it because I was scared to try something new. But I feel like eventually the fear of doing what I was doing kind of outweighed right. it. How, how were your parents? How were your mom and dad? I was going to ask yeah. exactly the same question. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I've 
been around your family and you're you're just a wonderful family and so close knit. Um, and I, at, at the same time, I know how proud they are of you in what you do, but I can also see they must have been just terrified watching this kind of stuff happen. Well, it's interesting because, especially now with the bikes, because my mom, the horse I was competing on was my mother's horse. Um, and my mom funded the whole riding and she was always there for me. She drove me. I think there was competitions that were, I think, four or five hours away and we were only there for the day, you know. So she put all her time and money into the horses for me and she came everywhere. But then now with the motorbikes, she just, she can't, she can't cope with <laughs> You're it. on your own, kid. It's right. it's interesting though because I've like. The, what about your dad? Oh, he, what about your dad? My dad's just in every in every way the most entertaining character you'll ever see. Um, I mean he he would have come to the horse riding, uh, to the competitions. He would have popped by, um, in his incredible outfits, um, and brought us lunch, <laughs> and then um, came to the ones where usually where I had a fall, he was there, and he was there to take the pictures of the child in the ambulance looking absolutely ridiculous because he knows I will appreciate them after. Um, and now dad came, that's the first, that was the first one to come to any of my motorcycle events. He came to one of the races. Actually, no, even before that, the first year he came to my training sessions that I did. Um, and he came on Father's Day, I think it was. And not even, he came Father's Day and during the week when he was working, he did all his business meetings from the racetrack. Um, and I had to explain why there was weird noises in the background and came on Father's Day. And we have great pictures of him asleep with the noise cancelling headphones at the racetrack. <laughs> um, and well, he came to, I think, my fourth race. He came to that um, and he was on the straight line at the racetrack while the 1,000cc motorcycles are going by at over 200 kilometers an hour. And he was playing solitaire. So... He's <laughs> he, he's he's there. That's all that matters. So yeah, yeah. But but yeah. Georgie, can I ask you? Um, this show is sponsored by Sports Digita, uh, who are one of these great sponsors that we're we're always looking for. And this I would like to call the Sports Digita question. Um, I've got a daughter. Grant's got got two. I think uh, James has got three. The whole father-daughter thing, uh, uh, you know, it's always a it's, a, it's a learning process, isn't it? <laughs> that you never really get the answer to. And, and we only see it from one side, the fathers. You from the daughter's side, mm. are you always just always trying to impress your dad? Is that what drove you? Well, for me, it was always, I mean, my sister, she's incredibly intellectual. And as Grant knows, my dad is in incredible in, in that side of things. I mean, he knows everything about everything and he's read every book and he's just he's incredibly smart whereas I was kind of more like my mom throwing myself into adventure and just kind of recklessly doing whatever I wanted and barely able to string a sentence together so um I feel like I never really connected with him on that side but I think he's so amazed by my racing that I feel like with the motorbikes it's I've been realizing it is a big thing for me that that he's so impressed, you know, that he's putting... I bet that. I bet that's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean... It... Both sides, that he's impressed and that you... Both sides. Yeah, it's interesting because it's something where he would know nothing about, but it is, I don't know, somehow it has brought us closer. Don't know why, but it, it's great. Maybe just because my mom physically cannot 
be there she can't bring herself right. to come so um having my dad there has been been incredible so, so let's let's talk about the bikes because um obviously you know you you we, we've jumped ahead from riding a little 125 down the motorway the whole the other thing knocking against the wind to thousand cc motorbikes that going over 200 kilometers now so so what you know, once you've made this decision that motorbikes are what you're gonna you're gonna get into how does that journey unfold because it's not you don't just get on a thousand cc bike and away you go. Well, um, I kind of decided that that was my approach to it. Um, <laughs> jump into the deep end. I um, went to a. I, I met a bunch of bikers. Once once you're on the bike, first before you get a bike, you don't really see any bikers, especially in Ireland. I mean, if you're in Germany or in Italy or Spain, you see them everywhere, mm. but here in yeah. Ireland there were none. And then once you have a bike, slowly they start appearing. Um, and as a girl, it was so easy. Girl on a motorbike, it was easy to find loads of friends within within that community. So all I kept hearing for the first 10 months of me being on the bike was people recommending um, to go onto the racetrack, not to race just as a training day to improve your skills and to get more comfortable with your bike and stuff like that. So um, I decided, I don't, I don't know what, got me to actually do it at the end but I decided to do one of those track days and um, I went to the track on my little 125 uh, at that stage it was a KTM Duke so a little bit cooler looking bike um, and we went there and a friend of mine let me use his um, R6 so a 600cc motorcycle for one or two laps with one of the instructors so I jumped oh on, God. oh, it was class. <laughs> I jumped on that bike and I did a few laps with an instructor following me. And he stupidly decided to say to me that I was not half bad. And me being me took that as you are the shit. So I went <laughs> off. <laughs> Full gas. Yeah. Full gas. I just, I, I took it completely wrong. Um, so I blame him for everything really. Um, but I went off and I spent every penny I had on a motor on a race bike for the racetrack so I went and I looked for 300 cc's for something small something to start off with something that'll ease me into everything uh, however there was a 600 cc for sale an ex-racer sold a perfect bike with everything you needed so spare parts uh, wet tires uh, on wet uh, on like spare wheels with it three sets of fairings, spare, but like everything. And then when I went to him, he was so lovely. He even ended up giving me some of the money back for my first tank of fuel. And he gave me his contact and he was like, look, if you have trouble with the bike, if you need any assistance, let us know. Um, any of us will come and help you. So I came to the racetrack with my dad um, and a 600cc that I had done a little bit of work on myself. So I was just, you know, for all I knew, this thing wasn't going to last the first lap. But uh, we went around and we think, I think I spent the first two months or the first month in the beginner class. And then by the third month, I was up in the advanced and the racer class. So I just, I would spend every penny I had. I, again, the school was incredible and they let me leave uh, or take days off for track days. Um, and dad came and drove me for the first half of the year and then I got my license and I started driving myself and went to the racetrack by myself. Um, so Georgie, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because it, is it something that you was never difficult for you? Did you immediately just get on and it would just felt natural? Because people it, that, that have these talents, it, it never feels difficult, right? It's like, oh, this is just, it's just great. It's not hard. I mean, it it wasn't, 
I wasn't a, like I wasn't perfect at it when I started, but I did uh, when I did my license for the road. I think it was a two day training with an incredible instructor. Um, it was two days. The first day was three hours in a parking lot. And then we went off on the road and we were just <laughs> on the road for the second half of that day. And then the second day again, it was just like going for a spin with a friend. It was amazing. But yeah, once I got on the track, I feel like the little bikes, I found a little bit harder, but um, just because I wanted to go fast and it was frustrating that no matter what I did, I just couldn't go faster. Uh, but once I sat on that big bike, it was like, it was, it was scary how much I trusted the bike, which is something right. that I never did with the horse. With the horse, I couldn't give up any control. And I think that was the problem why we had so many crashes was that he had his instinct and I had my instinct and we didn't trust each other to just let go. And, you know, when right. he, that makes sense. I just, I just, I can't give up control. And with the bike, I just, I let go and I let loose. It was interesting because for me, like I have a crazy mind. I can't sit still. Like I said before, I'm just, it's always buzzing. It's always somewhere. Um, and with the bikes, it's just calm. My mind is silent and there's calm. nothing else. Calm. Yeah, and it's it, when I first watched bigger bikes go around, I was like, how does anyone have time to react? You know, when you're going, I mean, I haven't done those speeds, but you see professionals and they're doing 300 and something on the roads racing. And you think, how how are you able to react at those speeds? But then you're on the bike and you realize the faster you go, the slower everything moves around you the slower the world is you feel like there's nothing in your head because i i'd like to say it's fight or flight instinct that your mind or your body just knows we can't let any distractions in and mm -hmm. you can feel you can feel your lungs breathing and you can feel every muscle every movement that you make you can physically very consciously feel it instead of just doing it it's very weird it's just it's like therapy it's meditation for me i get off the bike and no i i get i get that george i get that georgie I, I, I was lucky enough a good few years ago my wife used to work in moto gp <gasps> with marlboro um oh, wow. so yeah so like mugello and things like that and anybody that hasn't been to a bike race doesn't know you know and 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 because these people are crazy. When I say these people, I'm putting you in that category oh, there as you. well. And I know I know that's a compliment for you. But but what I mean by that is when they're going around corners, they they are like really close to the ground. Mm. You know, so it seems to me that they, like you were saying there, they have got to a, a kind of like post-fear stage that they're in some kind of zone that they're not even thinking about what it looks like to the outsider, which is, you people are totally insane. Totally insane. <laughs> the, the problem is if you have enough time to think about what other people are seeing or what's happening around you, if you have enough time to think about what's going to happen if you go faster, then you're not going fast enough. That makes sense. Right. Then, yeah, no, it, in, a, in a weird way, it does. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. Because then you, you have enough time to think, then you're not, you know what I mean? You shouldn't be able to think. You sh it's just, it's pure just trust your instinct. instinct. Yeah. 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 Or but weirdly enough, it's a racing instinct because if you go by your natural human instinct, then that's one thing you realize the first time you go on a racetrack is when you're in a corner and you feel like you start sliding a little bit or the back is moving or something, your instinct, your human instinct is go on the brakes and slow down. 
But if you go on the brakes in that situation in the corners, you'll lose the bike and it'll be off on you. Whereas the solution is open the throttle and go faster because then the bike, the bike will sort itself out or it won't and you'll end up in the ditch, but then you'll know for next time, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's hit or miss. For next time. Next for time, next time. So, so Georgie, let, let, let's, let's talk about the sport then, because you know, you, you're, you're a young woman in what to me from the outside seems like a, a, a very male dominated. I mean, there's a lot of male dominated sports, but motorbike racing seems to me to be one of the most male dominated sports. So how do you come at that? What are your ambitions? What are your ends? And how do you start going down that path? And, and, and what kind of journey has it been so far? Well, so far it's been it's been interesting because I kind of went into it with with the attitude as well, you know, they don't want the girls there and you know, it's male dominated for a reason and I won't be taken seriously as a girl. Um so I painted I painted my first race bike black and orange, no girly colors anywhere to be seen. I took my ponytail and I tucked it into my helmet. It was very, you know, don't show anyone that I'm a girl because they won't take me seriously. But I very, very quickly realized the people that don't take you seriously when you're a girl or when you're, no matter who you are, but the people that that make stupid comments or that say things like, oh, you're pretty fast for such a little girl and you know stuff like that. The people that say that are people that know that they're not going to beat you. They're people that have no influence <laughs> and that aren't important. <laughs> So um, love that. It's, love that. Because those genuinely, those are the only people that have said something like that to me. People that are intimidated and worried that their friends are going to make fun of them for being beaten by a girl. Um, and I very, very quickly. I mean, I think you get treated very differently by everyone, not consciously, but um, as in opportunities. I think a lot of people are willing because of the times that we're in now they're willing to help a girl because it might look good for them that their company mm -hmm. is supporting the female or you know stuff like that but then you have the other side of it as well that a lot of people think you've gotten what you've gotten or you've gotten where you've gotten simply because you're a girl and because yeah. you know so but I think there's ups and downs for everyone no matter who you are you know so other people have other issues that are or not issues I mean being a girl isn't an issue but they have other things that to them are something that's holding them back in the sport so um I don't see it as a problem anymore I think there's always that little voice in my head that if I'm not doing well that people are gonna say oh of course the girl is last or of course the girl isn't winning but I think those people are always gonna be there again no matter no matter who you are, if I were a boy, then they'd find a different reason why I'm losing. Right, so right. It, it has been, it, it's been an adventure realizing it, you know, um, I think, I mean, I went from black and orange bike, full black suit and tucked in ponytail to now having a pink motorcycle and a fully neon pink race suit. So we're, we're embracing it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think from the future from a future point of view, I don't think there's there's any difference in me moving up uh, in relation to the men. Um, my goal, my dream would be British mm. Superbikes. That would that would be everything to me. Um, so, but from what I know, it, it, there's no difference in me moving up 
to there, then there's a man moving up. No, I don't. I don't think you've got any uh, uh, disadvantage at all. As you say, in these days, in many ways, you would be somebody that would maybe get more attention, which means sponsorship, which means um, all the things that work in the sports business these days. But but tell me a little bit um, when you say super bikes. What do you need to have have happen for that to work for you? Do you need to find a team? Do you need to come uh, the way it is often with F1 these days as well, that you, the sponsor is behind you and you get a seat on one of the teams? How does it work, Georgie? Well, I think uh, the three big factors, A, is results. I mean, I need to start winning or at least being at the top. Um, B would be... Uh, money. Money is a massive, massive factor in it. I mean, okay, it's probably nowhere near the money that you would need for cars because two extra wheels and, you know, there's so many extra parts. Cars are ridiculously yeah. expensive. Um, and then C would be, I did have a C. Oh, connections. Connections is a huge one. Um, you need you need to know people. And that's that's an interesting one right now. I've been very, very, very fortunate because I managed to get signed onto a race team for my first year of racing. So um, it's not BSV, but um, I'm racing in the Dunlop Masters in Ireland. Um, uh-huh. So that's only in, it's only one racetrack. So it's only at Mondello, but they have an international racetrack and a national racetrack. So every week, weekend it switches. So one weekend it would be the national and you're doing you know, a certain amount of laps around the national and then the next weekend it would be the international track. Um, and through a mutual friend and just right place, right time, very lucky, I was at one of the track days in Mondello Park doing one of my training days and um, a guy came around to pick some parts up from the racetrack and he ended up seeing me and got in contact with me through a mutual friend and he runs a junior race team in Mondello in Ireland and he signed me on to his team. Wow. So I've been I've very but lucky. George, but you know, the, let, let's, let's kind of like segue this a little bit into the macro theme that we've talked a lot about, which is um, women's sport and the huge um, steps forward that it's making. <clears throat> um, I personally believe um, it's flipped a little bit that you've actually got advantages now because there is a whole selection of sponsors in all sports, but but certainly the male-dominated ones that are, are are fed up a little bit. And there's a whole lot of sponsors that would very easily get round uh, uh, women, girls, females, because they've never had the opportunity before. And I, I would be thinking, if I'm in a, a let's say, not a, a first-profile sport, like, you know, super bikes isn't football, it isn't, you know, tennis or... I would be thinking, what gives me the advantage over other sports to say you should come and watch me? And you know what the answer is? A really interesting young girl that's articulate, that comes and can compete. That is a narrative that people will get behind Georgie. Yeah. I mean, look, um, I'm incredibly flattered that you say that. Uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, at the beginning... I've got, again, I'm incredibly fortunate. I've managed to get a few sponsors for myself for this first year. Um, and it was it was weird for me because I thought at the beginning, how, who am I to ask anyone for, 
for money. You know, it's such a money's always been such such a big thing for me that I an, an uncomfortable thing. I just I don't I don't like asking for money, and I've always seen myself as someone who, you know, needs to do it themselves. But there's no way I will ever like at my age, especially, you know, I, that that I can manage to earn that amount of money to spare, you know, because obviously you still need money to live a life, and then you of need course x amount of money. But you to- see, I I, th- I think you're thinking about it the wrong way, Georgie. It's not you asking money from somebody. It's what can you do to make money for them? You know, women's brands have not had sporting personalities on which they can build their image to sell their products to young girls. Yeah. It's never really been there. So I know it's difficult because I don't know you, but you're, 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 you're a humble person. But you should be thinking to yourself, I'm one of the few women's sports people in a, this kind of sport that can go to a sponsor and say, you know what I can do for you? It's not asking for charity. It's the opposite yeah. is the way I see it. Do you know? But that's a mindset thing. You need you need to like... I mean, and I, I completely agree with you. I really do. And I that's why, like, I did see it my way at the beginning. And then the more, when I started asking people, you know, when I started just kind of growing a pair of balls and going, look, I need help are you willing to help me? And it was always the go-to line was always, uh, don't you want to sponsor the only girl on the grid? You know, um, because yeah. to me, even, even if I don't like, it's my first year, I'm not expecting to be winning everything. So, but as the only girl in my class, I'm going to stand out and I'm going to get attention regardless of where I'm sitting. And I do see myself as a loyal person in the sense of if, someone comes on board with me now while I'm not winning I'm very very like I'd be so grateful to them now that I would be happy to keep them on up until you know I'm BSB world champion or something like that <laughs> it's yeah yeah yeah, it's yeah, an investment. yeah you are right it is and I I have been but but listen can, can I ask you do you do anything Grant will hate this do you do anything uh, in terms of your own platforms to build your image um I did I, well, not did. I do have an Instagram page. Um, I My father has instructed me to get Twitter and LinkedIn, which I have gotten. Uh, however, not going to lie to you, I have no idea how to use. Um, <laughs> Forget LinkedIn and Twitter. That's not going to work for sports marketing. TikTok and Instagram is good. I, That's good. Forget I have the Instagram, other two. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do have a Facebook page as well because I just, I know that I, you know, there's a lot... Drop that, Georgie. Drop that. It's too. It's too old. It's yes, too Roger. old demographic. You're a young girl. <laughs> Instagram and TikTok, and like, no, like you, you, you've got, you've got a package that works, Georgie. Let me tell you, you just need to work on it a little Georgie, bit. Let, let me, let me save like, you some time, Georgie. Let me save you some time because I've spent about five years <laughs> arguing with Roger about <laughs> things you can't even imagine, and every single time he's proved to be right. So I just, mean, I completely agree. Save with yourself Roger. the time. I completely agree with it. And I, I did have, I had an, I started an Instagram page for my motorbikes at the time. It wasn't racing, but just the motorbikes. Um, when I started with the bikes, um, and then I, I just had such an unhealthy relationship with social media that I ended up deleting everything. So Facebook. Why was that? Why, why was that? I was very insecure at the time. And I 
think I used social media as more of a, a confidence booster by putting uh-huh. obviously the best version of myself onto it. And I realized not only did it occupy a lot of my time and a lot of my thoughts, but I realized it put a lot of pressure on me to appear like that in real life as well to to the people that I was seeing. And I just felt like I couldn't live up to the version of myself that I was creating. Um, so I just, I felt like I had to distance myself from it. And instead of just deleting the app, I, I went get to that. the extreme. I, I get that. I did, yeah, I deleted everything and I had built a decent following already. And uh, then when really? I started, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, look, it wasn't over the 10,000, but it was, I think it was two or 3,000 that I had gotten Good. Um, in a very short period. Um, and now when I started the racing, I thought for sponsors, it would be great if I built a platform. But I've been, I've been struggling um, to build it, if that makes sense. So I am posting and I'm doing that stuff, but I'm struggling to to get the numbers to where they were. Ge- Georgie, can I ask you, I think I've got this right. You've got a job as well, haven't you? I do, yes. What, what's, what's your job just now? I, I work in my old school in the in- Institute of Education in Dublin. As a teacher? Um, as student support, um, I realized uh, beforehand I've just been uh, in hospitality and I just felt like I wasn't making a difference and I wasn't helping anybody. Um, and now, because having gone to that school, it helped me a lot to figure myself out. And because of the way it's laid out, uh, it's more like a college. So it gives you the freedom to really explore you and explore your path. So I thought if I'm there, not as a teacher, but just student support, supervising, just kind of floating around, I could try help. No, no, listen, I, I think you're, I think you're underestimating this because see this little story you're telling here, mm. that's the stuff that works. You know, like you telling, I mean, you must have like loads of examples of students or young kids that you, you're coming in contact with in some way or another. They tell you their problems or their difficulties because all teenagers are full of angst and yeah. you're helping them out. Like that's the stuff that works, mm. you know, and then you, you take that and then you say, oh, and oh, on the weekend I was riding this thousand cc bike. That, that's a good narrative. Yeah. Georgie, there's a lot to work with there. Yeah. Maybe you Georgie, should be uh, my manager, Roger. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. So, so and Georgie, look, this, this brings me on to something else I wanted to talk to you about because, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken with your dad about all this stuff and and it's so fascinating. But, you know, for, for someone so young, you have um, you have designs on on the impact you can make that's not just about – it's not just about riding a fast bike and winning bike races, you know, and, and I think what you – just touched on there, Raj, in terms of what you, you're doing at the, at the at the school, speaks to that. So, so talk a little bit mm-hmm. about about what you want to achieve through racing, but outside racing. So, I think I think that's again, yeah. it's a big part of it's a big part of what what I find so compelling about this story. Well, yeah. um, a big, I do I do want to race, but I do want to do things in relation to it as well. So, I am I'm studying studying a course in neuromuscular therapy starting in October as well uh, to try help well to try earn money at the racetrack but as well um, I really want to do psychology I realized you know I think every every single person I know has gone through some sort of depression or through some sort of life crisis you don't need to be it doesn't matter what age you are or where you are in life. I feel like everyone struggles a lot with themselves. And especially nowadays with all the um, questions about 
everyone's identity and do you even know who you are and what you are and mm -hmm. it's very confusing and with all the lockdowns and all of that that um i feel like yeah people just don't realize how much it helps to talk to someone because i think everyone's confused but if you're left to figure it out by yourself then you just i don't know you come up with more scenarios that are just simply lies you know and you confuse yourself with it for me it was always i've always had a critic in my head that has been shouting at me and critic like criticizing me and putting me down and telling me i wasn't good enough and i wasn't going to be able to fix my problems and uh, i've been great at pushing that person down and ignoring them but it took me talking to many different people to realize that that person is just a part of you that's trying to protect you someone that is looking out for you and someone that just wants to save you from pain but doesn't realize that while they're doing that while they're trying to help they're actually causing pain um and realize that shutting that voice down only makes it louder so kind of accepting it and going okay thank you but no thank you i'm going to do what i want to do and i th i think if you can get kids to start talking to someone you know to normalize therapy to normalize getting help because i think it it was such a stigma that if you go to therapy you're crazy you know you're you have some mental illness or something wrong with you but i mean we all have something wrong with us no one is perfect it would be fairly boring if we were um but that was one aspect of it but another one was that um i just realized if you think about cuz one question that i've been asked so many times is how do you think how do you think you can get more girls into motorbikes you know how how can you get more yeah. girls interested in it because when i saw it when we started the season this year we had like a pre-season testing and you saw all the people that were going to be racing this year i mean and anyone that could come to it um and they wanted to do a photo shoot at the end with all the girls and i was expecting a lineup of i don't know 10 15 girls or something like that for the photo shoot including me it ended up being four and i think every race weekend you have over 100 entries for the racing and there's a total of four women so um i thought about it and it's not i mean physically you don't need you i mean physically you probably have an advantage as a girl because the lighter you are the better you know you want to be light to not add more weight to the bike yes you need muscle and you need strength but that's something and you need condition but that's something you can train everyone has to train the boys have to train we have to train um so there's no real physical advantage the only advantage that i can think of in a guy is that guys are generally more drawn to maybe this action filled reckless stuff but you have your odd guy not really. and you're yeah i mean you have your odd guy that isn't and your odd girl that will be so i don't really they just they I, just need a role model I mean, it's it's like uh, tennis in Sweden. They needed Borg, you know. Golf in Germany needed Langer. Um, the, well, that 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 was my my realization. I was thinking, how does any kid choose their their future career or their you know their their goals? Is they watch they watch a show or now they're on Instagram or TikTok or something like that, and they for me it was like Bob Bob the Builder or something. You know what I mean? You're you're a kid. You're a boy and you're watching some kids show and you see 
the male children generally in those shows the men don't look like grown men they generally look like a boy as well you know and you can see yourself as that character and it's your hero where you watch Ronaldo play football and he becomes your hero and of course you want to be like your hero um so you kind of it's it's a natural progression and they then go oh dad I want a football or mom I want a football or whatever and it slowly progresses but if a girl is watching it and they don't really see any image that they can relate to or that they can put themselves into then they're not really going to start pursuing it because they don't see it as an option so I saw I saw a niche and I thought I'd like to make myself that option you know I'd like to become that image that they can put themselves into if that is something they want. 100%. Uh, and you, you, the, the, the articulate nature of yourself, that, that works. I'm telling you, that works. It, it re- really does. You know, like um, the, the, thing, the stuff you were saying earlier about mental health and uh, the confusion of these younger generations, you know, I, I see that all the time. You know, my, my kids are just cut you know 18 and 20 so it's i find it a very difficult generation mm-hmm. for them you know there's a lot of and covid as you say really didn't help at all to have somebody articulate doing something that most people think isn't possible for for a girl mm-hmm. that that's golden you know yeah. I, I don't think you're that far away georgie of like really like being the person that makes it go from four in the lineup to 44 out of 100, you know, yeah. not that far away. Yeah, and I, I definitely, it's very possible, honestly. It's just, it needs it needs a push. It needs a push. So, so talk, talk a little bit um, about what the rest of the season holds for you. We're now in, uh, where are we, August. How, how long does the season run? What do you have left? And what are your goals for the rest of the season? Well, for me, sadly, there's not too much left this year. So we've got uh, two more races in Mondello left. So two rounds of the Masters. Um, and each round is three races. So we've got six races in Mondello left. And then we've got uh, plans to go up to Northern Ireland in October for the Sunflower race in Bishop's Court. So uh, that would be my first race this year outside of Mondello Park, which I'm incredibly excited for. So hopefully that works out. Um, And then I sat down with the team manager a couple of weeks ago and we're planning to go over to Spain for a weekend in winter to do a bit of training. Um, Apparently there's a racing academy over there or something that you can go over for and do a bit of training at. So we're hoping to do that if everything works out and then big plans for next year uh, we're starting in Mondello again I I luckily again the team is incredible they gave me the option for for next year and we're doing Mondello and then hopefully planning to do a few rounds in uh, Thundersport so that's over in England as well and it would be an incredible way of starting the, the steps towards BSB just because they it's it's a completely different league over in England I mean we only have one racetrack here in the Republic of Ireland, whereas England will have, I mean, the UK in general has tracks everywhere. So there's a lot faster riders over there. So it'd be, it'd be a great way to start trying out BSB racetracks and getting more used to the kind of competition that we'll have over there. 
Fantastic. Well, Georgie, don't, don't feel too grateful uh, to people giving you an option for next year. There's a reason, right? People don't people don't give yeah, options yeah, yeah. out Please, on teams George, just for Georgie, fun. There is a reason. There right? is a There's, reason for all yeah, of this. Yeah, exactly right. Um, look, it's uh, it's been it's been a fantastic hour talking to you, Georgie, and, and I'm 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 so delighted to watch what you're doing. Um, but listen, give everybody listening a chance to to figure out where to follow you, how to contact you if they want to find out more about what you're doing. Um, you know, you, you don't have a TikTok camera. Roger will set that up for you when we're off air. So, so give everybody Instagram. the best ways the best ways to contact you. you, you I know you've got a GoFundMe page. So do, let's, yeah. let's talk, just give people all the ways they can get in touch with you. So my Instagram is georgiew underscore racing 988. So that's my Instagram. And then I'm the same. Not making it easy there, Georgie. You're not no, making not it easy all. there with that name. It's, it's not, but, you know, I'm going to have to make people work for it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and then the, the GoFundMe link is um, in my Instagram as well, which has been incredible how supportive everyone has been. Um, and I don't want to say it again with Roger getting mad at me, but I am very, very grateful. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> Say it one more time. Ignore Roger. He's a curmudgeon. Yeah, ignore me. Most people do. Ignore me. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's the main the main way of getting in contact. Fantastic. Great. Georgie, listen, uh, we wish you all the best. Um, and if Roger and I can help you out, you know where we yes. are. Please don't Thank hesitate so to, to to hit us up if, if you want if you want uh sympathy, call me. If you want advice that's gonna be useful to you, call Roger. Um uh, <laughs> Because I'm just I'm just an unadulterated fan. He actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah, I definitely think I'm going to have to hire Roger as my manager. Not a chance. He, l- luckily, he work he works for Iron Brew, so you're you're in you're in good shape. <laughs> Georgie, listen, thanks a lot for taking the time. Say hi to your mum and dad and your and and the rest of the family for me. It's been so much fun. Thank you guys for having me. Honestly, I no a, re- a real pleasure. A great chat and the, the stuff about you know what you were saying in the middle of that was so important. You know, really, really important. So thank you for coming on and and letting us old guys realize what it's like to be uh, the younger generation. Young and talented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Thanks, Georgie. Take thank care. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a fantastic young lady. huh? Just just remarkable, Roger. Re- really, really remarkable. You know, I keep saying, Grant, um, uh, I'm not exactly sure what age she is, but uh, I think this younger generation and James will hate me here, but compared to the ones that are 10 years older, the, the millennials <laughs> is are stronger. Um, and she she shows that, you know, like they, in some ways I think they realise that they've been born in a difficult moment. Uh, the world's a confused place. It's a, it's a, it's a, a place that is full of a lot of dangers and angst and everything like that. And when you see these young people that are so balanced and measured and got their stuff together um that's just great and then you know the bonus is that she she speaks you know she's she's kissed the blarney stone you know like that is golden you know and as i was saying on there if she really wants to and tries to think about um you know how she takes that i'm not saying how you would say it but you know sent herself out as you know somebody that can be a, a role model for kids that are because she obviously does that in her day job, that, that, that's a relatively natural step. And all I would say is that anybody listening to this, sponsors that want to take a look at somebody that can represent what I think is um, the, the kind of values that, that women's sport has above men's sport, then have a, have a little bit of a research into to this young lady um, because 
in anything I know about sports marketing and sponsorship, there is a lot to work with there. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, you don't see it on this podcast and she won't thank me because I don't think she's this kind of person, but she's also very aesthetically pleasing and that doesn't do any harm at all. No, look, look, it's funny, Roger, you, know, you and I have spent years now talking about sport and, and we, we tend to talk about things that are old and we tend to be a bit cynical and a bit jaded and, you know, a bit critical and stuff. But, you know, you, you forget that sport is just this endless cycle and there's always young, talented people coming through at the other end of their careers. Um, and it's, you know, it's a breath of fresh air to talk to someone who's just young, fearless, talented, smart, you know, all those things. It's, it's just, it's just wonderful. You know, it, it restores your faith yeah. that sport is, is not just about, you know, corporations yeah. making money and, you know, clubs yeah. buying titles and all. it's just, it's just so refreshing. Well, listen, yeah. that's it um, for another episode of The Groundsman. Uh, I'll just give you Georgie's uh, Instagram again. It's uh, at GeorgieW underscore Racing988. Uh, five minutes of Rog and she'll have that changed to just Georgie W Racing. I've had a very strong since. <laughs> Georgie races. Okay. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, thanks to our very special guest, Georgie Wilkinson, for taking that time. Um, and thanks to Jimmy the Greek, our ace producer, James Gibb. Uh, our commiserations that Giles missed that one because I'm sure he would have loved that conversation and yeah, as always Rog my thanks to you you can follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already you'll find us at Entertained R that's the word A-R-E you can find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H and you can find me at RPM Como as in the lake as in the lake gentlemen until next time thanks guys thanks James so